sets us apart, and us who are being set apart for him, we have the same Father. And so what Yeshua, what, what the Father did to Christ, that is what he wants to do to us so we can be his sons and belong to his family. There are no unholy people in heaven. There are no unholy people of God's people. God's people are holy. The Bible says in Leviticus 19, 2, 20, 20, Leviticus chapter 20, Leviticus chapter 21, you be holy. Why? For I am holy. God's people are what he is. Not all powerful, all knowing, everywhere present, no, but holy and pure. And so we have to go through something for that. Now, in Hebrews in chapter 12, the Bible gives us what exactly God does to bring us into his family. He says in the beginning of verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, what are these witnesses? What are these witnesses? You look at it in Hebrews chapter 11, it describes all the heroes of the faith and all what they had to go through. You look at uh, 1135, women receive their dead. He says, women receive their dead by resurrection. Some of God's people were tortured, refusing to accept release, that they might rise again to a, a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and scourging. What did they suffer? And even chains and imprisonment. God's people were what? They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering over deserts and mountains and dens and caves. This was God's people, these heroes of the faith that we celebrate, these, these holy men of God. This is what they had to suffer to become that, destitution, affliction, pain. And so when we go through it, the point he is saying here is that we're not alone in this. This is the whole history of the Bible. It's not something strange. Like Peter says, do not think it's strange when you suffer these things, persecutions and trials. Don't think it's strange. This is your initiation into God's family. It's nothing new. It's nothing strange. You have a whole 6,000-year history of God's people going through these things. And so, but because we live in the West and because, you know, we're so comfortable and we're, we live it with such ease, Suffering and, and, and pain and hardship, it's foreign to us in a way. We think that is something strange. We think that, well, maybe I'm doing something wrong because I'm going through it. Well, maybe you are doing something wrong to go through it. But if you are trying to live a holy life and you are suffering, just know that it's not anything strange. It's God's initiation into his family. He says we have a whole cloud of witnesses. We have a whole cloud of witnesses, thousands of years of history of God's people going through these things. He says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Let Lay it aside. Get rid of it. That's the point of it all here. The point of God's discipline is to stop you and me from sinning. That is the point. To stop you and me from being unchristlike, from thinking foolish thoughts, from desiring unchristlike things, from putting unchristlike things into our hearts through TV and music and, and, and movies, to stop our fornication, having sex with our boyfriends and girlfriends, 
to stop, uh, to stop lying, to stop gossiping, stop the coveting and being jealous, to stop this selfishness and putting ourselves first, to cut all that mess out, to cut it out. And this is why the Bible says in Matthew in chapter uh, 15, you don't have to write there, he says, out of the heart come what? It, uh, uh, adulteries, fornications, idolatries, murders. He says, all these things come from the heart and come out of the heart and defile the man. You see, and that's why what the Lord wants to do with us, he wants to cut out the root, which is, first of all, the heart, and then from the heart comes the thoughts, and then from the thoughts come the actions. So he wants to deal with that, laying it aside, getting rid of it, the sin that clings so close to it. So think of it. What is the things that are attacking you? And you don't have to look far. You don't have to look far further than your own thoughts. You and me don't have to look any further than how we think and what we think about. Are you thinking about sex 24-7? Are you thinking about that in the next bag, the next uh, car, the next clothing? Are you thinking about what you can get for yourself? Are you, are you thinking about getting revenge on that brother or that sister that wronged you? Is that what your meditation is on? Are, is your mind on, on things of the past, past wrongs that people have done to you years and years and years ago that you still haven't forgiven? Is your mind bitter? Are you jealous? Because somebody has something else that you don't have, you don't have to. You don't have. You and me don't have to look for that sin that clings so closely to us, other than our further than our own thoughts. Think about what you think about, and that will tell you the thing that God is trying to deal with in your life, and in my life. So we've got to lay it aside. He says, and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with what, with perseverance, the race that is set before us. We've got to keep going and going and going and going and going and going and going. When the Lord shows us one sin, we deal with it immediately. And then when he gets us, gets us victory over that particular sin, then we move on to the next thing. This is why the Bible says in Psalm, in, uh, Psalm 19, he says, who, who can understand his faults? Keep thou me, Lord, from hidden faults. <clears throat> keep presumptuous sins far from me. Then I will be innocent of the great transgression. He says he deals with the, the hidden faults first. Then he deals with the sins that we know about. So we learn about the sin. The Lord shows us what the sin is. We deal with it. Then once we get victory over that sin, then the Lord let, reveals something else to us. And it goes on and on in a continuous cycle until we are completely pure in our hearts, until we have total victory over sin in our lives. And it's possible the Bible promises that. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1 through 2, he who suffers in the body is done with sin. So in this continuous loop, in this continuous cycle of re revealing sin, getting victory over sin, revealing sin, getting victory over sin, there's suffering all through that. There's pain, there's hurt, there's affliction, there's trial, there's tribulation. That brother or sister that God put in your path to irritate you, who, who is, who is who's still young in the faith or who is not even saved, God allowed them to be in your life, and, and you're praying that they would get out of your life, but, they're not, but God's not letting them go anywhere. Or that difficult job, that difficult coworker who's constantly, make, constantly making life hard for you, and you put in for a transfer trying to get out of the department, and each time God shuts it down and says no. God is constantly putting you and me in these cycles of suffering and pain. Why? Because he's revealing to us our sin and is trying to get us victory over it. So we've got to persevere and not quit. 
he says, and this is not something that we're doing that is something that's unique. Because he says, verse 2, looking to Jesus. We're doing all this looking to Jesus. Yeshua, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the worst thing that any human being can ever endure, the cross, where the term excruciating comes from, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. That's the place of power on the throne of God. He says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You haven't gone that far, and most of us have not gone that far. Most of us, what we go through is our mosquito bites compared to what Christ went through and compared to what most of our brothers and sisters around the world are going through outside the West. Most of you, and this is why I always brought you guys those Voice of the Martyrs magazines, so you can see. Your brothers and sisters in Africa are being massacred. Your brothers and sisters in Asia are being massacred. Your Christian brothers and sisters all around the world, in, in Asia, in Africa, in some place in Eastern Europe, in the Middle East, they are being killed, slaughtered. Their church is being destroyed. You and I aren't going through that. We're not going through that right now. We're going through what, what, what can be compared to mosquito bites. So he says, you have not, your struggle, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and most of us have not. Now, pay attention to verse 5. This is the point I'm trying to get at. Initiation into God's family. And have forgotten, and have you forgotten the exhortation which addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Pay attention. Nor lose courage when you are punished by him. For the Lord disciplines him who he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. See, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you and me how? As sons. That's how we become the sons of God. That's why we're initiated into God's family. The discipline, the discipline of holiness, the discipline of purity, that's what God is doing in us. The discipline of holiness and purity. God is treating you and me as sons. For what son is there who his father does not discipline? You see, he's saying you're not even a father if you don't discipline your child. You're fatherless. You're an orphan. Even if your father was there, if he didn't discipline you, it may as well have been as if he weren't there. That's how you know you and I are even saved. That's how you know I know that, God, that we have God as our Father, that we're born again. He says, and if you are, if, why, verse 8, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. If you and I do not go through the discipline of holiness, we will not be children of God, period. There's just no other way. You see, that's how you know God loves you. That's how you know God loves you. That's how you know he cares about you. That's how you know that he wants you. 
is because he disciplines you. He disciplines you. He corrects you when you're wrong, and he makes you better. Even when you're doing right, you still go through discipline. That's why the Bible says in John 15, he says, no, okay, sit down and sit back. Otherwise, I'm going to spank your butt. That's why the Bible says in John 15, the Bible says, those, he says, that, I'll just turn there quickly. John chapter 15, verse Verses 1 through 3, 1 through 4. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine, every branch of mine, that's you and me, right? That's us. He says, every branch of mine that bears no fruit, he takes it away, period. If you're in him, you're not bearing fruit because of a lack of discipline, you're going out. He's taking you out of him. He takes away. He says, but every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You see? So when you're wrong, he punishes you so you can bear fruit. If you can get it right and bear fruit. And even when you're bearing fruit, even when you're doing the right thing, he prunes you. He cuts you. Cuts you. That's what pruning is. It's cutting. He prunes you. Why? So you can bear even more. You see, that's, that's what God is doing in you and me. God is trying to keep us on the narrow path. And sometimes we go to the left, God's got to beat us back. And then sometimes we go to the right, and God's got to beat us back. And even when we're going forward, God is pushing us forward. In every way, God is trying to keep us on the path to holiness and purity. He corrects us when we're wrong. He corrects us when we're wrong and prunes us when we're right. No, and, and that is, like I said, that is the discipline. He says, besides this, we have had, in verse 9 of chapter 12 of Hebrews, he says, besides this, we have had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. We've had earthly fathers, our parents. We all got spankings in here, I think. We all got spankings. I knew I did. I got my tail toe up, and I respected my father for that. Now, and why? Because when you look at people who didn't get it and you look at how they live, what do you say? Oh, thank God. Thank God my parents corrected me. Thank God my parents taught me. It didn't feel good at the time. It was not good at the time. But then you saw what the, what the product was. You saw what the outcome was. It was you living a better life. It was you making good decisions. And that's what God wants us to do. When God's, that's what God wants for us disciplines us, it does not feel good. But then when you look at your brothers and sisters who, did not, who are not going through that, who are not getting it, and you see what kind of loose, careless, unfruitful lives that they live, you say, thank God that he loves me. Thank God that he cares about me. Besides this, we, had, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and lives? For they disciplined us for a short time at their pleasure. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. <clears throat> the point of discipline, the point of suffering, our initiation into his family is discipline so we can share in his holiness. 
He says the Bible, the Bible says, for without holiness no man shall see what? God. Think of it. Without holiness, no one will see God. No, nobody. I don't care how, how, how long you've been going to church. It doesn't matter how much you've been studying the Bible. I can be, it doesn't matter me preaching. It does not matter. Not, not one bit. Going on mission trips and doing that, none of that means nothing. Nothing. If you and I are not living holy lives in our private lives, if we're sitting up here at home sinning in secret, if you and I are not, when we hear the scriptures and we hear the teaching of God, if we're not submitting ourselves to it, if we're not submitting ourselves to the correction of the Lord, you're not going to heaven. You, the Lord, shows you something from the Bible and you refuse to do it, you're not going to heaven. You're not going to see God. But without holiness, no man shall see God. And that means that if you're not living a Christ-like life, if you're not striving every day for Christ-likeness, responding, and then what does that discipline look like? It's not just God putting you through suffering and pain. That's one part of it, true. But the other part is just correction. When the Lord shows you something in the Scriptures one-on-one, that's correction. When God allows you to go in a situation where you, that you don't want to be in, and you respond by being angry and belligerent and whatever, that's God showing you yourself. That's discipline and correction. He's revealing to you that you don't have patience. You're not humble. When God sends a brother or a sister to come to you and say, brother, sister, you know, I've noticed this thing about you, and I think that you need to correct. I've had brothers and sisters come to me and say, brother Austin, I think you need to work on this. And I didn't say, oh, well, but look at what you're doing. And you see, I saw you doing this and that. And, yeah, you see, I don't know who you're talking to. You don't know who I am and this and that. You know, no, no, because that's from God. That is God's correction. His, that's his discipline. Why? So we can share in his holiness. Because without holiness, no, no one will see God. He says, for the moment, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later on, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Trained by it. You see, this, this is what I want to hit on here. When God corrects you and me, it is supposed to lead to a change of behavior. Not just one or two decisions, Lord, save me, Lord, get me out of this mess. No. It's supposed to lead to a change in behavior. Part of the reason why we have to keep going through things over and over and over and over again is because God puts us through situations over and over and over again, and we don't learn the lesson. God tests us over and over again he puts us in different situations, probably the same situation over and over again, and each time we fail. Why? Because, as I said before, there's foolishness that's bound up in us. And so God is willing to keep going and going and going, giving you and me chance after chance after chance after chance until there remains, like the Bible says, no sacrifice for sins left. Because if each time God is telling you to do something and you're not doing it, and you're deliberately going the opposite way, the Bible says, if we go on sinning, there remains no sacrifice for sins left. No sacrifice for sins remaining. 
only the fearful expectation of judgment which will come upon the evildoers. So God gives us chance after 